0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another Theological Arsonist episode. I'm your host, Jonah Saler. For those of you who are new to this show, um, this is a show where we talk about theology from a Christ-centered perspective. Now today's a little bit different. I did not have any time this week to sit down and to plan out this episode. So what you're getting right now is unfiltered Jonah. Unfiltered, uncensored, This is as raw as it gets people. And today I want to talk about interpretation. More specifically, interpretation of scripture. How do we do it? How do we know our interpretation is the correct interpretation? And this is, I mean, this is complicated. I'm still working through this now, but I want to be open with with everybody who supports me, who listens to me, and just share where I'm coming from with this and how I've concluded what I've concluded. So First, I just want to like preface this by giving a little bit, bit, bit of background on my journey through this. So, when I started interpreting scripture and stuff, it was kind of like, okay, this is fun, I open my Bible, I read a passage, I think this is what he's saying, awesome. Right? And it was kind of, I mean, I'm sure a lot of you have grown up that way. Where you read the Bible, you read a passage, you kind of come to a conclusion based on what you read, and then you close it. Well, then I started to question, how do I know that what I think the Bible says is actually what it says? And I'll just go on record and say that's a good question to ask. How do I know that what the Bible says is actually what it says? How do I know that? Or how do I know that what I say the Bible says is actually what it says? That's what I meant to say. How do I know that? Well, I started to go even deeper. And I was hit with this immense sadness at the state of Protestant Christianity. We are so divided so divided we stand here looking out over this vast valley of denominations with splits even inside the denomination a denomination within a denomination all based on somebody saying i know what the bible says it says this and you're wrong and to showcase this an example i give Let's say you take a Baptist, a Presbyterian, and a Lutheran, and you put them all in the same room, and you ask them to teach you what the Bible says about baptism. Each one of them is going to answer that question differently. Vastly, theologically different. So which one is right? Each one is going to claim the authority of the Bible. Each one is going to claim that they did the proper exegesis and had good hermeneutics. And yet you still have three contradicting stories. Who's right? Well, I would argue that there is a right answer. The word of God is not multiple choice and all of the above, right? It's it's one truth. There is one truth. So how do we interpret it? And I'll, I'll be completely honest with you, after I started to, to kind of process these things in my head, which that's the way I think, I, 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 I read something or I hear something or I start thinking about something and I just, it just sits up there and it festers. I'm a festerer, if that's a word. I just let things fester and I think about them. Um, and, and sometimes it drives me crazy. And so this was one of those things. It, it was driving me crazy. How do I know what the Bible says? I look out and I say, okay, I want to know, I don't want to know what the Bible teaches about baptism. And yet I'm going to get a different answer from a bunch of different people that all say this is what the Bible teaches. They can't all be right. How do I know who's right? And so I started to doubt sola scriptura. There you go. There's your your unfiltered, uncensored Jonah moment. I started to doubt sola scriptura. And I started to listen to different apologists from different traditions, including Catholic and Orthodox. I listened to their critiques on Sola Scriptura. And you know what? They made incredibly compelling cases. I even watched a debate with James White against a Roman Catholic. uh, Patrick Madrid, I believe was his name. And I thought Madrid absolutely destroyed James White. Absolutely demolished him. Which, if you watch debates with James White, you realize that is not an easy task. But, I could see the holes in the Sola Scriptura argument, especially when, when brought up against a formidable uh, Roman Catholic apologist. And so my my faith in this in this doctrine started to crumble, and I was like, "Oh no, this is bad. What am I going to tell people if I if I can't hold on to this any longer?" And so I, I then started to study deeper on my own. I stopped listening and I just started reading. Uh, I find reading sometimes helps the mind go deeper than just watching or listening, which was the majority of what I was doing before that. And so what I realized is that ultimately, Christ did establish a church. He did establish a church. And he has preserved his truth through the church, including the Word of God, which was ultimately joined together as a canon by the church. And so what I realized is that the, the majority of Protestants that I was listening to And the majority of Protestants that I was familiar with had such a disdain for Rome. No offense, James White, but man, he has a disdain for Rome. They have such a disdain for Rome that they're not able to allow church history to share continuity with the Reformation. And so what was really discouraging to me was seeing such a level of disconnect and seeing people define sola scriptura in ways that I do not believe the reformers ever meant it to be. And and, and to this day, I'll be honest, I still don't like the term sola scriptura. I think a much better term, a term articulated by, I believe, the Anglicans, is the term prima scriptura. And prima scriptura means that scripture has primacy; it is supreme. It is still the sole infallible authority, but it is not the only authority. And ultimately, the reason we say it's not the only authority is because of the fact that if we say it is the only authority, nothing else. What we're really saying is that you and your interpretation is the sole infallible authority. Because let's face it, if I give you a Bible and I say this is the sole infallible authority, nothing else matters, only this, go read it. When you read it and you come to an understanding, you're going to argue it to the death because nothing else matters. There's nothing else out there. I forget who articulated it, but somebody came up with what's called the three-legged stool approach. And that's the idea that... That interpretation of scripture, understanding of theology, and the the workings of the church can be summed up in three main authorities scripture as supreme, prima scriptura, tradition, and reason. And I think this is a wonderful summation of how Christians should be approaching theology with scripture, um, tradition, and reason. And so this is how I started to look at things. I started to read my Bible more and more and more, and also read the church fathers along with my Bible. And so my conclusion, because again, going back to the scenario of the Baptist, the Presbyterian, and the Lutheran, you put them all in a room, say, what does the Bible say about about baptism? They can't all be right. They're all going to have different answers. So how do you conclude who is correct? You go back in church history, and you find the consensus And so my belief is that the way to interpret Scripture is to interpret it in light of the consensus of the historic church so long as it can be found and proven from Holy Scripture. So, for example, the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. The real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. I believe that if we look at church history objectively... We can see that since the dawn of the Reformation, up and through, or, or sorry, since the dawn of the Christian church, like first century time, up to the Reformation, there was a consensus that this is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Unquestionable, that was the consensus. It was articulated slightly differently by, slight, uh, in, in slightly different ways, by different people. But ultimately, the consensus was always that this is the body and blood of Christ. So, I go to Scripture. And what do I find in Scripture? My flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And then I go to Paul, and Paul says, when we partake of the bread, we are partaking in the body of Christ. We are, it's a participation in the body of Christ. When we take of the cup, it is a participation in the blood of Christ. Well there you go. I see it in scripture and I see it in history that is the correct interpretation of scripture. It's settled for me. Now, let's talk about the Marian dogmas. The immaculate conception, the bodily assumption of Mary, the sinless nature of Mary, obviously. These are these are Catholic dogmas. Okay, I don't necessarily see this as being a full consensus in history, but I do see a huge chunk of history that's all holding to this. That's fine. That's great. Now, show me in Scripture. Crickets, right? They're, they can't be proven from Scripture. So, therefore, I don't care if the church consensus says that this is what it is. If it can't be proven from Scripture to me, then I can't accept it. And so that's the difference, right? Right? With the Eucharist, there's explicit verses that they can go to and point to. There's nothing when it comes to the Marian dogmas that can be proven from Holy Scripture. And so this is where we need to really start to grasp this idea of of, uh, Scripture, um, tradition, and reason, right? We have Scripture as our prime authority, and we understand Scripture through tradition, And we understand the two of those things through our own reason and understanding, led and guided by the Holy Spirit, who promised, Jesus promised his disciples, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have taught you. And so this was a promise to the apostles, and I believe the apostles passed it down, and through their passing it down, it has been preserved throughout history. (coughs) We need to remember the divine component here. This isn't just a matter of a bunch of men who are trying their best to keep this message intact. No, no. We need to remember there's a divine inspiration behind this. There's a promise that God, that Christ would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And so we need to trust that the church is being built. And as such, trust the church. Trust the consensus of church history as long as it can be proven in Holy Scripture. And where it cannot, we need to call it as error and root it out for the purity and 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 sake of the church. And so I don't think I'm going to go on a whole much, much longer with this, but I hope that what I'm saying is making sense. Like I said, I didn't really have time to go through anything or prepare anything, but I, I wanted to talk about this because this is something that's been driving me nuts. Is we, There's so many evangelical Christians that are just, oh my goodness, that literally think that they can open their Bible, they can read a couple verses, and then they can go out and teach what the Bible's saying. And they don't even know what Martin Luther did in Germany. They don't even know who John Calvin is, besides maybe the fact that it's trendy to call themselves a Calvinist. They don't even know the names of any of the early church fathers, much less have read them. And so I look at this and I see this as a pandemic. An evangelical pandemic. We're dying because we have no historic roots we have no desire to learn history. We have no desire to have anything to do with church history or tradition because we have such a disdain for the Roman Catholic Church, even though that is where we came from. That's our heritage. And so we want nothing to do with it. We want to invent our own version of Christianity based on our own interpretation of Scripture. And we deny and we shake our fist in defiance at the papacy while, while also proclaiming ourselves to be the Pope. I don't want to be under your authority, so I'm going to be under my own. Friends, we are all under the authority of Christ. That includes the Pope of Rome, the Bishop of Rome. We are all under the authority of Christ. And Christ is the head of the church. We are the body. And so we must submit to Christ. And by submitting to Christ, we're going to submit to one another in humility, in love, and come together to discuss things like the Scriptures. And I'll be damned if Christ does not help us understand them. He's always going to help us understand them. When we gather, as the Hebrew says, do not cease to gather as is the habit of some. Right? If we cease to gather, there's going to be no blessing on us. There's going to be no blessing on our ministry. There's going to be no blessing on our understanding of Scripture. However, if we want to be guarded from error... If we want to be guarded from heresy, we must gather with the church, with the church Catholic. We must recite the creeds. For this is the summation of our faith. I believe in God, the Father, maker of heaven and earth, right? This is the summation of faith. We must hold to the confessions that have been given to us. We must recite scripture in church. And when the pastor says the word of the Lord, we say, Thanks be to God. We need to be liturgical. We need to believe that baptism and the Lord's Supper actually mean something and do something to the believer. We must believe that scripture is the active, living word of God that can cut deeper than any two edged sword. And we must believe that the church Catholic that Christ established in the first century has stayed the course. And I'm ashamed to admit that I lost faith that objective interpretation could be found in Holy Scripture. I saw all this disagreement and I started to lose faith and I realized the reason I was losing my faith is because I was paying attention to the fallibility of man rather than the infallibility of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and His Holy Word. Even if I don't understand all the intricacies of the Holy Scriptures, it is preserved and it is infallible even when I am not. Even when, where my mind fails, the Holy Scriptures do not fail. And so I praise God that even in my, my, my fallibility, even in my ability to make mistakes when it comes to the Holy Scriptures, He has given me a church. And this church has a history behind her. And this church has generation after generation of people gathering and writing these creeds that we can confess together. That are saying, this is what the Bible says in unison with one another, so that we can say in unison with one another, this is what the Scriptures teach. And we also have people that are willing to stand up and call the church out on error when they're in error. When they have strayed from the historic expression of Christianity. We are able to stand up and say, no, we're going to put our foot down here. We need to actually come away from this modern version of Sola Scriptura to a simple, mere Christianity that acknowledges the Word of God is the prime, sole, infallible Scripture, but we need to have a high view of the church. This evangelical Christianity today is me and my Bible and whatever I want it to say. Whatever tickles my ears. You know, I'm so fed up going on Facebook sometimes and seeing people, Judge not, lest ye be judged. You know, the Bible, Jesus never mentions homosexuality as a sin. It's maddening. These people think that they know their Bibles, but they don't. What they've done is they've crafted God into the image of man to accommodate their own sinful flesh and desires. They could care less about the truth. And it's because we've opened the door and said, it's all about your interpretation The Bible is the infallible source, so go ahead and interpret it. And even though a lot of the people who have said this were well-intended, they lost the view of the church that is essential. We must have a high view of Scripture and a high view of the church. I'm a high churchman. I am. I, I will not deny it. I have a very high view of the church, of the liturgy, of the sacraments, And I believe that they are essential for our sanctification and our salvation. You cannot separate it. And so I believe that as we process how do we understand the scriptures, we need more Protestants to study church history and the fathers and allow that to inform the way that they understand and interpret scripture rather than allowing their own understanding to influence how they understand and interpret scripture. Friends, that's how heretics came about. Arius didn't just pop up one day because of the consensus of the church. No, he popped up one day because he took sola scriptura to the conclusion many evangelicals take it. The Bible does not teach... fill in the blank with any heresy. So to guard us from heresy... We have the historic church that Jesus Christ founded, the creeds of the church that we confess and should be confessing daily, and we have the confessions that were written to further clarify the doctrine so that we have the boundary markers of what is Orthodox Christianity. And at the end of the day, that's the question. What is Orthodox Christianity? Orthodox Christianity is the consensus of church history summed up in the creeds and confessions. And while we, when we stick in that, we're going to actually have a higher view of Scripture than we would if we said those things don't matter, only Scripture matters. That's a low view of Scripture. That's a low view of Scripture. Because if you believe that the church, tradition, history, creeds, confessions don't matter because that's man's word and only God's word matters, then what you're saying is that God's word only matters as long as it agrees with me. That's a low view of Scripture. The high view of scripture says, God's word matters so much that I refuse to treat it with such contempt that I would interpret it without the light of the church, the creeds, and the confessions. That's a high view. And that's what we need to strive for. That's what we need to bring back. That's what the Reformation was about. It was about telling the papal infallibility of the Pope and saying, no, you are not the sole source of truth. It is the Bible and therefore we must interpret scripture and allow scripture to inform our doctrines. And yet many Protestants who would say yes amen to that would also be the same ones saying that their own infallible their own interpretation of scripture is the truth. They would claim that it was the authority of scripture but it's really their tradition and their presuppositions being read in. So I'm I'm being a little redundant at this point. I'm going to read a quick passage though. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is what Paul says. He says, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Spoken word or by our letter. And the word traditions there has occasionally been translated uh, our, our teachings, but that's just not accurate to the Greek. The Greek word is traditions. Traditions. So Paul is telling the Thessalonian church to hold to the traditions that they were taught by us, the apostles, either by spoken word or by letter. So you see, Paul had a high view. He had a very high view of scripture, but he also had a high view of the teachings that were by the word of mouth. And you can't tell me that the Thessalonians only paid attention to the teachings of Paul that were recorded in the two letters of the 1st of and 2nd Thessalonians. You think that they just abandoned everything else that he taught them when he was with them? Ministering to them? You've got to be kidding me. Absolutely not. And so there were traditions that were handed down. We ought to pay attention to them. We ought to not just discard things because they seem odd to us or they seem useless to us, you know. Why are you guys chanting? Why are you guys doing this this liturgy? Why are you guys holding a candle? Why are you dressed in those garbs? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Study it out. Find out why. And in a lot of cases, you'll find out that these traditions can be traced right back to the first century. Passed down by the apostles, by word of mouth, and by letter. So how do we interpret scripture we interpret scripture in light of the consensus of church history so long as it can be proven in holy scripture so that is my argument that is where i'm at right now and i just appreciate all of you for listening for supporting me on this journey of theology let us all let us all just let me pray for everybody listening right now cuz i i just i feel so compelled to to pray right now let's let's just pray together father god lord guard us from error lord we are so fallible in our thinking and in our ways we are so weak lord and and like like sheep we we go astray so easily father we trust that you alone are the infallible god no no man could ever do that you are infallible you are truth incarnate in the person of jesus christ and so god we ask you that we would never place our presuppositions above the truth lord guide us into truth as we study your word guide us into truth as we study the history of your church lord and we thank you lord that you have given us a visible church It's not just an empty promise, Lord. It's not just a hypothetical. It is a visible, real, tangible church. Where there is error, Lord, root it out. And where there is truth, Lord, strengthen the convictions of it. We ask all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.